It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. This is our weekly opportunity to sit down with some of the East End's award-winning journalists to talk about what's in the headlines this week. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm your co-host along with Bill Sutton. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27east.com, and uh, Express Magazine. Uh, my co-host, as I said, is Bill Sutton. He's the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. So with us today on our panel, we have J.D. Allen, who's the managing editor at WSHU Public Radio. Hey, J.D. Hey, everybody. Good to have you here. Uh, we have Kitty Merrill, who is a staff writer for us at the Express News Group. Good morning, Kitty. Hey, how are you? Thanks for joining us. And soldiering on through not feeling well, we have... Denise Civiletti, who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise, thanks for toughing it out for us. I'm, I'm actually on my way back. I'm feeling better than I was all week today, so. All right, great. But thank well, you, good. good morning. We appreciate you making making the effort. Um, so we've been off for a couple of weeks, so we're nice and fresh and, and ready to dive into some new headlines. And Bill, we wrote this week about uh, what I think is a fairly big deal. The, the um, we, We've had for, for a couple of years now um, an unresolved issue that relates to the septic grants that both Suffolk County and all five East End towns have been giving out to people to replace septic systems that were failing or outdated and to put in new modern systems. This was a fairly big, big ruling that came down this week. It, it was. And this was actually a controversy that dates back to, um, I think, 2018 um, and, and hasn't been resolved. And so basically, um, uh, homeowners who put in these these new septic systems, which can be really expensive, they can cost twenty five grand or, or or more, depending on on size and all that. We're getting these uh, rebates from, as you noted, from from the county and and from the towns um, to help offset the cost of these, and um, um, you know, obviously making these upgrades affordable and and um, you know, yeah, I mean, they're like for, that's like a environmental dollar project, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for environmental conscious homeowners and and whatever, so that was a good deal. You could you could get it done. Um, I think you had to kind of put the money in up front, but then you would get it back from the county and the town. And then in in 2018, um, County Comptroller um, John Kennedy was decided, and, and note to note at the time he was also running for county executive, so um, there may have been an element of uh, you know looking at headlines and stuff. Um, he began issuing 1099s to the homeowners receiving these grants, meaning that they would have to um, pay income taxes, federal income taxes on the money that they received on, on these grants, kind of a, a, a double taxation because the, you know, the, the homeowners were, um, you know, paying, paying sales tax to the, you know, to the, to the contractors doing, doing the work and all that. And this kind of went back and forth and went back and forth and back and forth for, for a number of years. And and obviously because of because of that fact and because of the headlines, you had most likely a lot of homeowners that just weren't taking advantage of the program, weren't putting in the new systems, um, you know, because they, you know, all of a sudden they had to, you know, pay taxes on on um, on on the cost of the of the rebates, and I think probably a lot of people were shying away. So incidentally, it was a a, a couple a couple weeks ago that. Um, um, and I forget, um, the U.S. Department of Agriculture had come through and, and said that these should be considered um, um, environment, the environmental upgrades did, and not and not taxed. The, and, and the county so the, did, did kind of an end run, right? They, they sort of went around the IRS and went right. to the Department of Agriculture to try and get uh, sort of a... a, and, a they, they wanted a, a determination that way. Yeah. And, and then and then that kind of embarrassed the IRS into um, this week issuing a notice that um, that um, they would no longer tax those those rebates. And in fact, for people going back, I think only two years, people who had paid um, income taxes on those rebates would uh, could file an amended return and, and get some of that money back. So I think good news for for homeowners who um who were were anxious to install these new systems 
um, and and be more environmentally conscious that, that now they don't have to pay the taxes on it. So hopefully those programs become more utilized. Yeah, Denise, I, I get the impression that that this dispute really kind of slammed the brakes on what was a pretty good program because you know the the county and the town money combined really covers the cost of these very expensive, uh, they're called IA systems. Uh, they're, they're basically um, nitrogen reducing systems that go in. But it, you know, the cost, as I said, can be up to $40,000. And this basically covers the cost, but nobody was expecting to get a, a, a tax bill for that. Uh, it, it really discouraged a lot of people, I think. It sure did. I, I spoke to a, a contractor, a guy who actually started a, a new business to install these things, a Riverhead guy. And um, he said it really, you know, was a, a major stumbling block for the program. And he thinks that it's really going to take off now. Um, you know, the interesting thing, though, is that <laughs> this, the, the grant went, the grant money didn't even go to the homeowner. It went to the contractor. So the contractor was paying taxes on it. And, you know, the people did not expect to be taxed on that. But, you know, John Kennedy, the county controller, asked the IRS for an opinion about that because he, you know, kind of rightfully, legally, you know, it, it it's a thing of value that you're getting a benefit of. And so there's this, the, the county then found this, I'm going to call it an obscure thing in the law, um, where the U.S. Uh, Department of Agriculture can say that this is something that's a benefit to the environment. And the county asked the Department of Agriculture for a ruling that this is a benefit to the environment. Like, well, duh, yeah, you know, um, but it is. And that, as you pointed out, Joe, is how they wiggled out of this, because then the IRS, under a provision of the law, because you know me, I actually looked this up, um, can say... <laughs> This is tax, you know, not taxable, and this, it can be excluded from gross income. Is the tech, is the technical thing? So right. that's how this all played out. Yeah. What I found particularly funny were all the politicians lining up to take credit for this, like Schumer. I be I pushed the USDA, and that's a Zeldin saying that he got the IRS to do this, and you know, actually the county filed this on their own with yeah. the USDA years ago. And they finally got it, maybe because Schumer pushed. Who the heck knows? Schumer but, may have had something yeah. to do with it. Yeah, no question. But but Denise, you know, one of the things I wanted to to talk about is is John Kennedy's role in this. And and you know, we we certainly have pointed out many times that that he raised this question while he was running for county executive. And there's certainly the the Balone administration has has said over and over again that they feel this was politically motivated. I, you know, I think it's time to sort of take a step back and say, I'm not sure John Kennedy was acting inappropriately as the comptroller and raising this question about whether the IRS might come in later and, and decide this was taxable income. I, I'm not sure it was inappropriate for him to raise this question at the time. Um, and, I, you know, but I but I do think it's it's very clear in the end that that the 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 USDA's ruling um, superseded it. Absolutely. And I mean, just think about the allegation that it's politically motivated. Like they turned around and then said, well, this guy, you know, they point to him as the Grinch. You know, he issued these 1099s to you. So like if that were really politically motivated, boy, was that ripe to backfire on him? <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't I think he it was technically a correct thing. Um, could would would the county have gotten in trouble? Would people have gotten in trouble? I mean, who knows? But um, you know, I think he followed the letter of the law in issuing those 1099s. And, um, you know, certainly that didn't make him too popular with uh, people. And, uh, you know, the Bologna administration was like, you know, look what he did kind of. So he kind of set himself up to be, uh, you know, sort of tarred and feathered over that, I guess. But Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, it's came done last. now. And that's it's just really good news because these things are. You know, well, are, are good for they are definitely good for the environment and they're and needed and needed all yeah. over Long Island. You yeah. know, talk when about this why, was, JD. Talk about why why this is important. So it, when this first rolled out, it was really targeted for uh, coastal properties that had uh, direct impact with 
um, water bodies and wetlands that they were adjacent to. Um, and so the county really pushed and the towns, especially on the East End, pushed very hard for uh, new builds and any uh, significant construction um, to require these as part of their upgrades, um, which is a really costly, as we talked about, really costly endeavor. And so uh, the county and the state grants um, kind of uh, softened that. But that's only a fraction of the properties. Every property on Long Island in some capacity um, will have an impact on the environment uh, around us. Um, all roads lead to Rome, all groundwater eventually ends up in a water system. And so whether that's the Long Island Sound, the Peconic Bay, the Great South Bay, any of the smaller streams or um, smaller Lake, estuaries. Lake Agawam. Exactly. And so, um, and we're seeing the impacts. I mean, you see really dramatic algal blooms that develop from, um, from nitrogen pollution. Um, you know, some of it's from fertilizer runoff, but a lot of it is from aging um, septic systems that, I mean, let's face it, most of Long Island was developed uh, 1950s on. And so some of these have only been replaced once in their history. Um, and so it really means that there's, a good chunk of 300,000 septic systems on Long Island that still need to be upgraded. Um, so we can see a reduction of um, nitrogen pollution in our waterways uh, because if we want to keep enjoying um, these, you know, coastal bodies like, um, you know, going down to the bay and, and, and not smelling or, or being near, um, you know, potentially toxic algal blooms. Um, it means that you're not recreating in those waters. It means that if you're relying on it for either recreation or uh, fishing, um, it can result in fish kills. It can result in shellfish die-offs. Um, and so this is kind of the next step in us being able to continue to live near the coast. Kitty, I know you've written about this. I, I remember in the past, I was sort of shocked um, at, at the, there are different levels of, of this issue with septic systems in people, at people's houses. And I remember you writing about uh, a property in Flanders where um, there are failing septic systems there where essentially someone's flushing their toilet and it is just going, you know, if they, if they own a waterfront property and their septic system is in the water table and it's failing, they're essentially flushing their toilet and it's going into the bay, right? It's that simple. Yeah. And also, you know, that also happens in areas like um, Georgica, Georgica Pond in East Hampton and Meacox Bay in um, Watermill. Bridgehampton, Watermill. Yeah. Yeah. So when the bays go up, if they don't do the cuts, the septic systems, you know, the, the, the basements all flood and that those septics are going right in. And they, they what's what's happening with those, which I'm a little more familiar with than the Flanders one. That was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it, um, so it starts to starts to in, impact the health of the, the shellfish where, you know, that was those were like really rich and abundant bodies of water for for shellfish and it starts to you know the amount of nitrogen starts to have like a really negative impact on them which is why you know you have the people who live around those those two ponds begging begging please do the cut please do the cut as the water level level to, to, flush, to flush the bay out to flush them out yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so the towns the towns actually have been very aggressive and this is really all five towns have expanded the, the community preservation fund to add this element where they can use some of the money for water quality projects. So the towns have been really eager to spend this money. And uh, I believe um, the story that Mike Wright wrote this week for us mentioned that, that East Hampton town specifically has hundreds of applications pending. There's a lot of people who are really interested in And so it's not just about the worst case scenarios, people right on the water whose systems are failing, but everybody, everybody's septic tank. I've said many times, I live a few hundred feet from um, Tiana Bay and we have a septic tank. And I'm sure that, that, you know, 
whatever, I don't think our septic tank is failing, but it's contributing to the problem. And I have to admit that, that I was interested in getting involved in trying to replace my, my septic system with a higher, higher level one. But this whole thing made me stay away from it. I'm now back to being interested and it's something I'll look into. And I think that's going to be true of a lot of people, right? Kitty, that I, I think I, I think, think the towns are hoping sense. that's true, right? Yeah, I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And it also, you know, it kind of plays into when you're talking about, especially Tiana Bay and how that is um, affected by all kinds of pollution that's coming down from even Main Street if you or Montauk Highway, if you remember that one gas station uh, that's closed right now, that was actually a, a, got a homeless guy's home behind this, this defunct gas station. That sent all kinds of pollution because they had a failure. Um, but their failure, I think their failure was with their oil tanks. Yeah. If you look at Hampton Bays, one of their, you know, the way they're trying or the it's being bandied about of a way to try and work on the water quality there is the big discussion that they're having about uh, a sewer system for downtown and that keeps going back and forth with some people didn't want you know it was proposed to be near the um, cemetery and people felt that that was wrong but it was also proposed in such a way in the original in the original um the original report, septic report, a sewage treatment plant report, was proposed in such a way where they said they wanted to do it because of all the, you know, the businesses along Main Street have these severely outdated and antiquated uh, septic systems and cesspools. But then they said, well, you don't really have to hook into the sewer system. So it was mm -hmm. like, we're not going to make them do it then why make them, you know, make the community pay for the costs and, you know, hundreds. And of they have, there's of a similar dollars. issue in Southampton Village is very similar. You know, there is no septic system in Southampton Village. And so a lot of those businesses right along uh, Lake Agawam are contributing to, to the problem there. And it's, you know, this is the reason. So, J.D., that's part of the equation, right? I mean, we need to get IA systems into areas where maybe there isn't quite as much sparse development, but in downtown areas and more clustered development, sewage systems are really going to be part of this part of this equation as well. Yeah, I mean the the environmentalists, the marine scientists, they're all. It's not septic systems or sewers or wastewater treatment plants. It's all of the above. Um, you know, if we're going to start planning on how to build smarter. Um, in the future with new developments, they should include nitrogen filtering systems. Um, if there's going to be um, changes um, in a downtown um, setup, like a village, um, you know, how do, if, if there's going to be um, apartments added to the second floor, or if there's going to be other accessory uses or expansion of a restaurant that's going to serve more people with greater, um, you know, restroom needs, you know, part of the, part of the development, part of the planning process is, well, where is all of your waste going to go? Um, and so yeah, I mean, it's, that's it's not allowed. And I mean, a, a shout out to, to West Hampton beach village and, and therefore we're thinking mm. they have just completed, um, the, the new sewer district upgrade tying uh, Main Street and, um, and and some surrounding areas into the sewage treatment plant at, at Gabreski Airport. And it was just for those things that the that, that JD is talking about. They're planning a couple boat boutique um, hotels on, on Main Street, certainly more restaurants and, and second floor housing, none of which would be allowed under the under the current um county you know septic regulations i mean there's limits on on the number of wet uses and all that so as as west hampton beach um you know they they completed their you know their main street upgrades uh, a couple years ago and this is the next step in that and and really um rethinking and, and renovating their downtown area um in in a smart way and, and you know um incorporating the the sewer district and and look that the purposes of that was twofold it was also um you know moneybog bay um behind behind main street was was completely polluted with um like you said in, in other areas joe with kind of raw sewage running right into uh 
into the canal there. And, and so, um, um, that's how they ended up paying for the, for the sewer upgrade is, is through those environmental efforts. Water they, quality grants. They got water quality grants from the town, you know, through the CPF from the town, pretty substantial. And from the state and the state. And I mean, tens of millions of dollars that just paid for the, for the entire upgrade. Um, so, I mean, it, it's hand in hand, it's, it's improving the environment, but it, it, it's also smart growth at, at the same time. Denise, I, I'm in, I'm struck by by the fact that as we we head towards the end of 2022, there's been some real good news for the region. I mean, you know, we had the community housing fund that passed. We we now have have this in place. These are these are not small steps towards fixing some of the real big problems we there have. Are big problems, and I, I I just I gotta say I love sewer talk. Like I <laughs> I really do. Um, and I you know I'm always griping about the town of Riverhead and the government here and stuff, but you know, Riverhead being like an older um, center of population has had a sewage treatment plant since I think the 1930s. And um, they built a, um, a, what they call scavenger waste where the cesspool guys bring the, when they pump your, your septic tank to, to um, treat that for a nitrogen removal. And um, they in the last several years, they've combined those two things and uh, really upgraded the whole system and have gotten like, you know, national awards actually for the, oh. what they've done there. Um, and it really is, I, I mean, it, I have to say, I, I, it's really fascinating stuff, the way, <laughs> the way sewage is treated. Um, it really is. And, um, you know, they, um, at the end of the process, they have like the last disinfectant is UV lighting. Hmm. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's treated to essentially drinking water standards. And um, they have um, done, they started with a pilot program, but now they I'm, are. I'm not, I'm not testing that though. Yeah, me neither. Right now. <laughs> I actually, I, well, all right, never mind. But, <laughs> but um, I, so it's, it's, um, they are now using the, the effluent, it's called the liquid uh, that's, that's treated and left at the end, like what they're left with. Um, again, treated to drinking water standards. They're using that to um, water mm-hmm. the grass at the county golf course, and Smart. also to you know the landscaping and stuff at the sewage treatment plant itself. Um, so I mean, they're doing you know there's there are things that they that you can do that we don't we don't have to drown in our own waste. Like I mean, you know, but yeah. it takes a lot of fortitude, and it takes sometimes um, you know pressure. To get people and governments to to do these things, um, but there are ways to deal with you know the waste that we generate both throughout our bodies and also through you know the, into the what they call the solid waste stream, right? Which is our garbage. And 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 I think really I think you know I mean I I was having covered government for so many years I was just amazed by how West Hampton the speed with which West Hampton went from everybody agreed to do it to now it's happening. So that's four years, maybe. Yeah. And you compare that to some of the other villages that yeah. have, where it's been. Well, so, so, so look, and I'm not, I, I, I'm, I'm totally impressed with, with the West Hampton beach leadership right now, but sewer, sewer upgrades were a discussion for about two decades and and, and there was a lot of fighting back, back and, and forth. forth back and and, forth and, and they got lucky i think in in that they were able to tie into um into the the the, the plant at, at gabreski if west hampton beach had had been required to build its own treatment yeah. plant i think things would have been a little yeah. different well, that, that being side. said, once once they realized that right. they could do that, oh, they, they put it to they put it together quickly and and they found the money for it, which was which was that's fantastic. the thing. The, the pursuit of the grants, I think, was really impressive. But yeah, yeah. tens yeah. of millions of dollars these these facilities cost. You know, yeah. You know, I got I, I also if I can just end the 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 septic conversation <laughs> by 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 pointing out a a piece of trivia that that I think is important though in providing some context and that is we mentioned that these uh sewage treatment plants are are treating wastewater to the point where it gets to drinking water standards it's ironic because that's actually still not clean enough 
to discharge directly into some of these water bodies because that's still too much um, nitrogen um, for the bays and some of the others. So that's why you see some of that wastewater being used um, to fertilize, I'm sorry, to um, irrig irrigate um, different properties because then it still goes through the natural filtration process. That's how delicate these ecosystems are that even drinking water standards aren't clean enough for that water to be. So imagine the septics that are failing and just dumping wastewater into them and, and the damage it's doing. It, it sort of puts a, a fine point on it. So, hey, look, if you're looking for septic talk, you've oh come goodness. to the right place. It's behind <laughs> the headlines on mouths. We are your clearinghouse for septic conversations. No question about it. We got the poop. That's it. Poop talk first thing in the morning. I'm your co-host. I'm with the Express News Group, Bill Sutton. Uh, also with the Express News Group is my co-host. Our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, J.D. Allen of WSHU Public Radio, and Kitty Merrill of the Express News Group. And J.D., so sort of a related topic. We want to give you our official congratulations for a recent award that you received for your podcast, Higher Ground. Tell me what the award was, because the name was far too long for me to remember. And I would rather you say it. if you make a mistake, it's OK. I can't make a mistake. Yeah, so it was it was really a huge honor. I mean, an enormous, enormous honor um, to be flown down to D.C. Um, at the end of last month uh, to get the National Academy's Eric and Wendy Schmidt Awards for Excellence in Science Communication. And that's given by the National Academies of Science, Engineering and Medicine. And um, it feels like an award a journalist shouldn't get. Um, usually people that get NAS awards are like finding, you know, new planets and, you know, cures for diseases. Um, but, uh, you know, I got uh, th this is the first time that they're giving out awards out for science communication and uh, for higher ground, which, um, you know, really explored in its first season you know, coastal resiliency and what it means for us to be Long Islanders and what it means, what it could mean for us in the future uh, to either find higher ground as extreme weather and sea level rise is threatening our homes and, um, and everything from um, where we get our electricity from, how vulnerable that is and where our waste goes. So it's, it's kind of along the same conversations. Um, but it's it's really uh, a tremendous honor uh, to be included in this first round of, of uh, journalists and um, academics from uh, across the world, really, um, to get one of these awards. And now I've got, you know, this great group of um, brainiacs in my corner uh, that I've been chatting with and coming up with, you know, new ideas on how to talk about things that are impacting our neighborhoods and what that means for neighborhoods globally. So communication in the scientific community is really important. And I think it's gotten a lot more attention in the last couple of couple of decades that um, I'm thinking of Alan Alda, who's uh, an East End resident, and he spent a lot of his uh, recent career focused on this through Stony Brook, right? Uh, you know, about about the idea of communicating these scientific um, issues to a larger population. There's no more important topic for us to talk about on the East End than climate change. So, I, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, you know, that communicating that stuff is almost as important as the research itself. Yeah, I mean, so you're talking about the Alan Alda Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook. And um, yeah, there's a, a tremendous staff there that is working with scientists from uh, around the world um, and being able to talk about the areas that they uh, study, but also about the tremendous research or need for research in certain areas from um, NASA scientists uh, to they just had the Department of Defense um, a, a session with them recently Um to you know the marine scientists that are in our backyard that are talking to our communities that are in our town hall meetings that are holding press conferences you know at shinnecock bay uh to talk um uh, in a way that will hopefully engage 
the community around them into understanding, okay, the issue of the bay being unhealthy, the reason why there are no scallops this year, the, the reason um, why um, you can't go swimming here is because of this, this, and this reason. And we need to do several things. It's not just a one shop fix um, in order to, you know, improve uh, the environment and the livelihood that we want here. And so um, communicating science is incredibly important um, to start conversations and to, to make science part of decision-making. Denise, I think East End Media has been talking about this. I mean, we uh, JD's terrific podcast. We've had a series this year called The Rising Tide. Um, all of the different news outlets have talked about climate change and the fact that it's an enormous concern for the East End. Is anybody listening? Do you think, do you think this message is, uh, you know, I don't think this is a region where it can be said that we're not talking about it. We are talking about it, but is it, is it having any impact? I'd like to think that it is. I mean, I, I feel like, uh, you know, unfortunately, sometimes governments are the slowest to pay attention locally, you know, local. I mean, there was, when we first started Riverhead Local, a majority of the members on the Riverhead Town Board were like climate change deniers. Like they didn't mm. believe in it, you know. Um, and I think, you know, in the past decade, 12 years, that, uh, that has come, That's that's changed quite a bit in general. Like I think, People have come to terms with that. But how can you live where we live and not be sensitive to environmental concerns? I mean, you know, it's all around us, right? I mean, I, you know, how do you, how, do, how can you be when you see the impacts of, of things like, you know, we, we had a big turtle die off. We see um, shellfishing uh, industries, you know, just dry up and go away. I mean, there are no more lobsters in the Long Island Sound, you know, out here anymore. Um, the entire Western Long Island Sound is is de a dead body, basically. It's a pocket, it's got, um, you know, there's not enough oxygen to support life. We, we see these things and we, you know, if you're old enough, you remember the brown tide when, you know, the bay looked like chocolate milk. Um, you know, it's part of, of who we are. It's ingrained in us. So I think, I think certainly we, our readers for people who, who are in print or pixels are, you know, are really, I think, paying attention to it. I'm sure, you know, li listeners are too, J.D. Um, what do you, you know, think our, our audiences are changing um, and they're exactly the way that you're describing. But um, our audiences are much more... Um, um, interested in in climate and, and climate news because they um, might be recognizing um, a shift in how we're talking about it. Uh, you know, um, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when we were when we were talking about climate change, um, we were expecting for there to be a light switch that would turn on or off, and climate change would happen, and our world would forever be different. And, um, and I think that gave space to people to say, well, I don't believe that switch is going to happen. I think the difference in, in our reporting and our difference and therefore and how our audiences are understanding it is that we've been enduring this transition, this change for decades. You know, mm. the things that you remember as a child being, huh, that's unusual. I remember my school letting out early every spring uh, because if we didn't get out before two o'clock there would be floodwaters in our driveway and the buses couldn't get in or our, our parents couldn't come pick us up recognizing that those infrastructure issues are tied to our changes in our environment and that you've been experiencing climate change since you were growing up it's not been a flick of the switch moment and so our reporting in climate issues has also changed that we're we're tying in the contributions of our of our own impact through our fertilizer use or our septic systems um you know we're, we're tying in um how extreme weather and the intensity that it brings um is more significant in recent years um and so our audiences are not climate deniers 
they're actually engaged with, okay, there has been an ongoing problem and we're finding responses to those problems. Um, and we might need to do more. Or we might need to think different. Kitty, you cover Southampton Town Hall for us. Is it is it on the minds of town officials? I mean, I think do they have uh, these conversations. Well, they have um, a sustainability committee, and they frequently they just they just started all their um, solar. They did an update to all their solar regulations. And so those things all kind of work. They've done updates to the solar regulations. They've done certain things at the um, waste facility, the recycling facility, in terms of trying to cut down on the waste. And um, they they participate with the uh, Habitat for Humanity Restore program, where people are bringing things that are usable to somebody else there, rather than throwing them in and adding them to the waste stream. I feel as if <clears throat> Councilman John Bouvier is the um, liaison to the sustainability committee. So they, they talk about it a lot and they mention, he'll mention how certain actions that they are taking are related to the, um, you know, uh, goals of reductions of use of fuels and, you know, certain things like that. He does, he does pull it in. He does pull it in. And the sustainable, you know, sustainable energy sources and how they want to move towards that, all those different things. They definitely mention it. They definitely speak of it. But 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 it's all those little things that like JD said, you know, climate change itself is isn't a light switch. And the solution itself isn't a light switch. The solution is being aware of it and doing all those little things and making sure that, you know, that it's easier for commercial solar operations to you know, to, to operate in the town and, and looking at, you know, the, um, you know, the transfer stations and, and all that, and all those little things put together is how we, how we combat climate change. Right. What, what makes it easier is when there's money where there's, where the, where the mouth is. Right. And, and so like we just saw this week, for instance, um, the NOAA, um, the national oceanic and atmospheric administration giving out, um, millions and millions of dollars 139 million dollars for 29 states and montauk you know received a chunk of the change uh for um designing a livable shoreline and in that way creating a wetlands area that will help reduce the impact of our communities on the environment and then in return as sea level rises and extreme weather threatens our coastline that will be a buffer zone to help prevent the flooding of our communities and so um it's it's looking at the the two sides of this coin um and how far um money that uh is being planned in our communities can go to help the environment and help our communities at the same time I, I was going to say, JD, that I think that you know these are really complex issues and complicated problems to deal with. That in so many ways are beyond the capacity of really local governments. Starting with money, I mean, you know, it really takes major money to do some of what needs to be done, right? I mean, careful. The community preservation fund has a lot of money. That's all you local. Guys so a lot of money. <laughs> we're not we're we're not in the same boat here in Riverhead, maybe. Um, We've, there are some people here have been trying to get that money kind of shared in, regionally because it's all in the same, you know, environment, all the same waterway. But, but you know, it takes a lot of money and it takes money from the state. It takes money from the federal government. And, you know, it, it it's good when I feel good when we see th those entities stepping up with with grants and and no interest or low interest loans and things like that that enable um, less wealthy communities, particularly to um, to do the things that need that need to be done. Um, it took us took us decades to get here. So yeah. it's going to you know, it's going to take some time to to make meaningful change to to kind of address the issues. It's behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. Uh, my co-host is Bill Sutton. We are with the Express News Group, as is our panelist, Kitty Merrill. Uh, we also have Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local and J.D. Allen of WSHU Public Radio. Uh, let's change gears a little bit. Uh, you have a couple of um, power-related stories 
up here. I guess everything we write about is power related in one way or the other, but I'm talking specifically electricity related stories. Um, let's talk about um, pilot payments, which maybe explain um, why the Long Island Power Authority makes these payments in lieu of taxes. What is that about? Oh, I thought we were going to talk about sustainable energy and battery storage. We can do that too. <laughs> Which ties right up. in with this. Um, yes. So, I mean, LIPA, the Long Island Power Authority, was created in 1986 as a not-for-profit entity, right? After uh, a big storm <laughs> hit Long Island and the response of the Long Island Lighting Company, a private company at the time, um, was less than uh, what officials and community would have hoped. We were out of power. Gosh, I can't even remember how long that was with Hurricane Gloria, I think it was, right? Anybody? Uh, anyway, um, so they formed the Long Island Power Authority. It's um, a not-for-profit, and it's not supposed to pay property taxes. Um, and it's supposed to make what's called payments in lieu of taxes, pilots for short. And um, in... They amended the public authorities law, I think, let, well, they, 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 there was a LIPA, another LIPA Act recently in 2014 that took effect in 2015, I think, that said that the pilot payments shall be limited to like 2% a year because you now we have this like 2% tax. This is basically for property that LIPA owns, right? That, oh, that's yeah, the transmission the lines, the uh, substations yeah. and things like that. So. I mean, there's a lot of it, and there are significant taxpayers in, you know, in each of the towns. So anyway, um, but the towns apparently, um, not the East End towns, the East End towns kind of got with the program and said, oh, we should be um, this, you know, these are not taxable properties. They're supposed to be pilot payments, but the the um, Western towns kept issuing the tax bills. And then when there was like a dispute, like it didn't pay the tax bills, it's in court, it's a big mess. And every town on Long Island, in Suffolk, except for Riverhead, um, has um, it has issued invoices, so to speak, for these pilot payments. And um, they, Riverhead has a lawyer that has been advising the town that it's a bad idea to do this because there's no real statutory authority to actually issue these invoices. And what if the amount is wrong, the town could be on the hook. Yeah. You know, I could say this lawyers. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, you know, there's this whole lawsuit that really has nothing to do with that particular issue, but that complicates things. And, Riverhead hasn't collected, uh, Riverhead Town, Riverhead School District, Shoreham Wading River School District, that's in the part of, you know, part of it's in Riverhead, and the farm districts in Riverhead, they haven't collected money from LIPA for last year, and now, of course, now the new tax year, and LIPA is saying, we want to pay this money, here, take take the check, you know, I'm, that's oversimplifying it, but it's a big thing, but it's um you know like another one of those stories that just keeps coming back and slapping you in the face every time you know it's up like, it's up to the town basically to invoice them for for what they need to get right well that's what life is saying and the town is saying no no uh, you know we don't have the authority to do that with you know under the state public authorities law which technically that's true but hmm. i don't think anybody benefits from this exactly um <laughs> this little standoff that we're in and I, yeah I hope uh, I hope they get it solved because that's, you know, the Riverhead School District is looking at when you put the 22-23 tax bill in play, it's like uh, more than $6 million, which wow. is a lot the of money. Taxpayers have to make up for. Well, well, you know, so we'll see what happens. Absolutely. So let's talk about the battery. I'm sorry. Let's talk about battery storage then. That's the other, and we, we were having this conversation. So this is a relatively new issue that's coming up with um, the the electric system on the East End, right? It's, I mean, it's gonna it's happening everywhere. And I think that, um, you know, basically with sustainable energy, that's not, you know, fossil fuel based uh, electricity uh, uh, generation, you know, you're relying on wind, you're relying on sun, right? So there are periods of time when there's not a lot of wind and there's not sun because it's night. Uh, and so 
the energy, you know, it would be really good to be able to store the energy that gets generated, or the electricity that gets generated when it's sunny and windy, et cetera, and, you know, send it out into the grid at a time when it's needed. Like, you know, the point being that, especially with like solar farms and stuff, like we have hundreds of acres of solar panels in Riverhead now, but, you know, it's, they're not producing electricity at times of peak use, right? Peak use is generally when people get home from work and in the evenings. And so they're, you know, they're producing the electricity that's going into the grid during, during the day. Um, so there's a new-ish technology that they call battery energy storage systems. And they're basically like clusters and cabinets of these um, batteries. Most of them are uh, lithium ion batteries and they they store the electricity and then they feed it back into the grid uh, to, through a substation, um, you know, when it's needed. And there are companies that have figured out that they can make money doing this. So there, there's a lot of money being like dangled in and, front of people. And life is going to need a bunch of them, right? And, uh, you know, they're going to need a significant number of them. Uh, sure. Because but they're, but they're private, reason. right? They're private or they're LIPA? Oh, well, I mean, so far, the ones we're seeing are private. So there, there's a proposal. There are proposals for two of them so far. And I think others are kind of like percolating out there in Riverhead. And there's a proposal for one in uh, Kutchog on Oregon Road. Um, and um, and they and they collect the power and then sell it back. to. Yeah, Lyle. they collect the power, they hold it and then they they sell it back to the, the uh, utility. Um, and and Kitty, I think we have a couple of these proposed for the South Fork, too. I think in <clears throat> Hampton Bays and the East Quag, at least, I think. Right. I think those were the the areas that we saw them. That I don't know. Yeah, kidding. Kidding. I, I think it's. I think it's. As I mentioned before we started, I am not up on this topic. I re, I seem to remember that, that, that it's Hampton Bay and sure. East Quagger. Well, you'll be, we'll, we'll, we'll be seeing them. We'll be seeing more of them. The interesting thing in Kachog is actually that LIPA is proposing to build a substation next to, like, they're going to subdivide this farmland, and LIPA is going to build. They want to build a substation adjacent to this so that. Because these these things need to be, you know, the substation needs to be reachable, basically. Mm. Order. You know, they need to have certain can only be a certain distance away. So, you know, I mean, the thing is that again, you know, this goes back to how you know we're kind of governments are kind of slower at you know they lag behind the technology in the private sector and stuff. But none of the towns really have any kind of code to deal with this, right? Um, and are you seeing um, Denise neighbors um, concerned about this? Because I think we've seen a little bit of that down this way, where neighbors have said yeah. that these facilities, um, they're they're worried in particular about fires and things mm -hmm. like that because of the the nature of the batteries that are involved. And and those fires can and do happen, and people are concerned. Um, you know, there's the one facility proposed in Riverhead is literally is adjacent to a very densely populated area uh, right next to a, a like a retirement community, a manufactured home community called Glenwood Village. And there's people there who are concerned. Um, you know, fire departments are concerned, training equipment. What you know, how are these things monitored? That's the thing. There are like a lot of issues in order to really make these work for the community safely or to ensure the safety and so, the, none of the towns have anything in place. So, so is River, is River, regulate, the, regulate this. Is, is, is Riverhead writing new code? And I think that's what's going on in Southampton too for these proposed facilities is um, Southampton town boards probably looking at new code just to make sure that 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 they're safe, right, for the community. Well, and like, so where do you allow these things? Like, I, you know, yeah. right now it's it's driven by the developer. They come in and say we want to get a special exception use. It's not in the zoning, but we want a special exception to put it here. Um, and so, is is it right to like allow developers to make that call? Like, you know, shouldn't the town have a code? Shouldn't that be part of the zoning? Should it say, you know? Okay, you know, it's where are the substations, or where will we be happy to have a substation built, if anywhere? And 
you know, and look at it kind of globally uh, through the town. Um, and so that's what the people were were saying at a uh, planning board meeting in um, in South Old Town this week. And South Old Planning Board adjourned it and said, you know, whoa, there's, you know, we're not moving ahead with this. There's a lot. I don't know what's going to happen there. I suspect they're going to like look at writing code. And Riverhead has a, a proposed code um, that is going to a public hearing on uh, the afternoon of December 20th, which made a lot of local people here unhappy because it's like, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, right before Christmas, who's going to pay attention to this? Um, but they are going forward with a public hearing on that. That may not be the be an end all. I mean, that may be a process that continues. But um, a lot of people are also saying, well, look, we're updating our comp plan. Shouldn't that this be part of that process? <laughs> like, you know, this feels like it's going to be a friction point in the in the next couple of years in in a lot of communities. Probably because it's like you know it's a really pretty new technology and um, it's well, something and it that does pose some risks, I think, and particularly in Riverhead, where as, as you as you noted, you have so many um, solar farms now up in at Calverton, and you know particularly, and and I think you'll see those. Um, popping up elsewhere too maybe not so much on the south shore but um, but then we've got south shore. shore we've got south yeah, Wind down our way and, and, and yeah. same the issue. same technology basically yeah. yeah so clearly this is something you know and then we've got this like pressure from the state that we need to be you know complete oh, fossil fuel free or whatever by 2030 or, yeah the state yeah. is really gung-ho uh, uh on um pushing these alternative energies. And it looks like the East End is going to be at the forefront of that. Um, of course, the governor was here to for the groundbreaking for South Fork Wind and said, basically, this is setting the pace that it's going to continue yeah. um, in the state. So uh, it's definitely something needed. And as J.D. was saying before, when he was talking about communication, <laughs> that I think is where it really all starts. And we need to do our part to try to communicate clearly and, you know, in, in a coherent way to people to understand it ourselves first and communicate it to people so that they can make informed decisions and participate in the civic process. Right. I mean, is that that's what our role is supposed to be. Yeah. As I um, said, this is going to be the friction point for this. No question. We are out of time for this week's edition of Behind the Headlines. <clears throat> So I want to thank our panelists, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, J.D. Allen of WSHU Public Radio, and our own Kitty Merrill of the Express News Group. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Bill Sutton, my co-host from the Express News Group. Appreciate it, Bill. Thank you, Joe, for hosting. And we will be back next week uh, with another edition of Behind the Headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.